Hear the word of God from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenny. So, I have a question for y'all. Let me do move some furniture here. Otherwise, I'll knock that right over. So, here's a question. How many of y'all have heard the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's a really commonly used saying. My grandmother used to use it all the time. And I believe she was telling the truth. I mean, she was a nurse after all. But then I got to wondering, is it like actually true? Or could possibly grandma have wanted me to eat more fruit instead of her famous oatmeal chocolate chip cookies that were above the refrigerator? Yeah. Well, I went to Wikipedia to see how much truth is there in that saying of an apple a day keeps a doctor away, and I learned it had its origins in 1860, where they used that phrase. And like many sayings, depending upon who you are and the circumstances of your life, there can be some truth in that. Apples are fruit. Fruit is good for you. But... What I learned is for some, it's not so much true. The science doesn't quite hold up, according to the research on that saying. It's funny, isn't it? There are certain sayings that we commonly use, and in those sayings, we can find some truth in them. And we're looking at some sayings we commonly use here in the church or in Christian circles over these next several weeks, where we're looking at Uh, That's Not in the Bible, our worship series. It's inviting us to take a look at some of these common sayings and discover they're not in the Bible. Is there truth in it or not? And so this week, we're looking at this saying that says, God helps those who help themselves. Any of y'all heard that saying before? Yeah. So it got me to thinking as I was looking at, why do you think we use it? Why do we use it? Excuse? Could be, yep, use it as an excuse. What else? Right? Reminding other people to be lazy or not letting things happen, right? Self-empowerment, yeah, yeah. I had one person this morning, they were saying, it's about, they use it as comfort, wanting better for a person to be encouragement in a sense. Things will get better, right? Well, those are all really good ways in which we hear that phrase and want to hear it used. And I went to do a little history on this. Where did this phrase actually come from? I went to, yes, Wikipedia does have this, but I actually went to a few other sources as well. And it talked in there about how um, a lot of Americans may believe that it's a biblical phrase. However, even those who don't can trace it back, and it goes back to Benjamin Franklin. Because in Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, you can find this phrase being used. But he wasn't the originator of it. 
it actually can go back to early Greek and Roman folklore where they have this saying that's been found. It's also been in the 17th century found in poems written by a gentleman named George Herbert, his poetry. And in Christian circles, I discovered that it usually appears most likely originated by a gentleman named Matthew Henry in the 18th century. Henry published commentaries on the scripture. He was a Puritan commentary writer, and in his commentary on the book of Joshua, chapter 5, it reads, God helps those who help themselves. And one writer speculates that the reason that people thought that that was in the Bible was because Matthew Henry um, was so thoroughly biblical that they just made that assumption that everything in his writing was from the Bible. And in some ways, that was true for Henry. But you know, when we think about it today, today that phrase, it does get attributed to that thought that um, we do better and try harder and that's a good thing. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, God works everything out for those who try hard. Heard that one before, right? Or do your best and God will do the rest. Those are those very... American uprooted values that we hold and it rings true for some with this saying but you know that's not how Matthew Henry actually wrote it in his commentary when he was talking about this phrase Henry was clear that we are unable to help ourselves towards salvation and what Henry meant when he was talking about this passage in Joshua was that God helps those help themselves. He was writing about Joshua. Joshua was doing what God had called him to do. He was about to enter Jericho. He was on a mission that he believed God was bringing him and the Israelites to. And Matthew writes, Matthew Henry writes, there he was meditating and praying. And Joshua was there because the Lord had promised him victory. And when we are doing God's will, God will help us accomplish those ends. So for Matthew Henry, God will help us as we do what God calls us to do. So in there, I think we can see a bit of truth in that. God's presence with us as we are doing God's will, as we are serving God, that's what Henry was talking about in that passage. Another passage that it often gets attributed to, this saying, is one you all kind of mentioned here, and you'll hear it in this passage from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, For even when we were with you, the writer says, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work shouldn't eat. For we hear that some of you are living idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and extort in Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. That's the passage that gets attributed often to that text. And while other passages appear in the Old and the New Testaments to remind us to not be lazy and it's our responsibility to participate, we're always encouraged to do so with a Christ-like spirit. And really those passages are passages that are found in a greater context when God's created us and invites us to use our gifts and our talents in this world to make a difference. But i got to be honest with you. When we say that passage in that context, 
saying God helps those who help themselves, I've always felt icky about it, just being honest. Always felt icky about it. Because it's kind of like a prid quo quo. I always, a tongue twister. Here's the thing. What it would say to me is that do this and God will do that for you. Right? Almost has that sound to it. I mean, it almost assumes like, does God only show up when we're doing um, or acting in a particular way or our duties? I mean, what about those times when we're doing our best And our needs are still really a struggle to get met. Doesn't work in those times, does it? That's why the reverse of this statement doesn't hold true to me. God helps those who help themselves. What about those times when we are confronted, when we can't help ourselves? I mean, think about it. Those circumstances are like when we feel like we can't help ourselves, when we're feeling powerless or hurting or struggling. The list goes on. I mean, the truth is, sometimes people can't help themselves. I mean, there are times when physical or emotional limitations can block people from getting the help they need. There are social systems that keep people marginalized and oppressed and separated from the very help that they need. And if we're honest, there are situations in our own life that come about where no amount of self-help or pulling ourselves up from the bootstraps can help. And this, this is where I think we can find the reverse of this statement to be true in Scripture. Because isn't it true that God helps those who can't help themselves? Right? Yeah. That's weaved in through the Scriptures, isn't it? We see it. God helping those who can't help themselves through other people and through grace. So let's take a look at those passages for a moment. Time and again, we see God inviting others to help others, to be God's love for other people. I mean, listen to Proverbs 22. It says, happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. How about James 1, 27? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans, the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then we got this famous passages that we all hear in the Gospel of Matthew. It's 2540, where Jesus says this, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me far back as we can go in scripture we see how God has mandated the people of God to care for the poor the widow, the foreigner I mean back into Leviticus we hear the instructions that the farmers are to keep the edges of the field for the, for the foreigner and for the poor so that they can eat too we hear the scriptures back as far as we can go in the Old Testament commanding the people to care for the widow, to look out for the orphaned and the fatherless. Jesus taught this, didn't he? And he taught us how to live it out. When I think of these passages, how God helps those who can't help themselves, I'm reminded how often I get to see this played out in beautiful ways through people giving of themselves. 
through people paying attention to loving one another. And it reminded me of a friend of mine, Dixie. A few years uh, back, um, she works actually every week sorting clothes for Open Arms Ministries. And she lost her daughter at age 50 a couple years ago. And then it was the next year she turned around and lost her husband. And like for many of us, when we're in that season of grief, gosh, that fog takes hold and life becomes a blur. And she had a downsize. She had a move. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't even, I can't quite see my way through this. One day, a church member had mentioned that she was getting ready to sell her condo. So Dixie went over, she checked it out. Sure enough, it was just exactly what she was looking for. She put in an offer, she bought it. And she said in that moment, it was like God was letting her know, you're not alone. And she was paying attention. She said she was grateful, but she was also overwhelmed. She still didn't know, how am I going to, like, I don't know how to get myself moved. I have so much stuff. Like, what am I going to do? And she prayed for quite a while. And then two of her other teammates entered the story. Glenn and Ellen Simpson, they saw what she was going through, and they reached out and offered to help. And they helped her. They helped her sell her stuff. They helped her figure out how to get everything moved and into her new place. They physically and structurally helped her make that happen. She gave me permission to tell the story, and she said God showed up with skin on it through Ellen and Glenn, through Carol. She said she didn't know how she would have gotten through that experience in her life without them, and she was grateful to them, and she was grateful to God. You know, I see it time and time again. When people meet the needs of others, those who are struggling and hurting, those who are poor by acting through other people. And, you know, we can debate about how we help others without hurting or creating dependence, but Scripture is really clear that we are called to help others in need. And so I wonder, I wonder for you, can you think of a time in your life when God showed up with skin on Maybe you're in need of some of that encouragement right now. Maybe, for some of us, God's inviting us to be that skin for somebody else. You know, I'd like to propose that God's presence happens way more often than we realize. And we often miss it, don't we? I mean, it's true. Maybe we're not looking for it, or maybe we're expecting it to show up in other ways. But I wonder if this week the invitation for us might be to pay attention to where we might see God's love at work, extending grace to us or others, and give thanks. You know, Carol and Glenn and Ellen, they had all been themselves in places and seasons where they had experienced helplessness. And now they were just responding to the grace that was given to them by God and sharing it back with others. You know, sometimes God helps by helping through others. But sometimes God's help has nothing to do with outcomes. And that takes me to the other way in which we see God helping 
God helps the helpless through grace. That's what our scripture reading was about today. I mean, listen to these words again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, but it's a gift from God, not the result of your works, so that no one can boast. Grace, there's nothing we need to do to earn it. We just need to receive it. And it's out of that that our good works come. Adam Hamilton, in his book, Half Truths, says this. He says, God is the God of the hopeless cause. The God is the one who loves the sinner, who walks through us in the darkest of valleys. And even when we make a mess of things and we can't fix them, God extends mercy to us. And the word for mercy is grace. Mercy, right? Yeah. Again, nothing we need to do to earn it. We just need to receive it. In the book of Psalms, the writer says this, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hill. From where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The book of Psalms is the writer who's one who's lived in seasons of helplessness. And yet he never gives up on calling out to God. The psalmist has walked through darkness, been hurting, hopeless, even made a mess out of his life, and yet is surrendering to himself and looking for hope. I love that image. Can you put the image back up for me again? I lift my eyes to the mountains, it says. I lift my eyes up to the mountains, and where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. The psalmist lifts himself up, his eyes up, and asks for God to meet him in the moments of helplessness. And in there is full hope for our psalmist. You see, the concept of grace is central to the message of Jesus. Grace is the undeserved work of God in all of our lives. Grace is not something we earn. It's not something we buy or that we have to work for. And we cannot help ourselves into grace. We can only ask for it and accept it. Sometimes help does come from others. Sometimes there are ways in which we can participate in the help we need. But always, always help can come in the form of God's forgiveness and God's mercy that is offered to us in Jesus. So what about you? Is there a situation in your life right now that you're feeling a bit hopeless? Maybe there's a place in your life where the help that you need is the help that comes from a God whose love never ends and whose mercy is ready to pour out upon us. Like the psalmist, we can go to God in prayer. We can go to God in prayer for ourselves or even go to God in prayer for others. And in there is the opportunity to surrender. We can surrender our own individualism, and we can open ourselves up to look for God and to ask for what we need. That's what this table's about. When we come to this table, we call it a means of grace, 
a table of mercy where we are, all of us, invited to come to experience the communion, the communion with each other and the communion of God. And we can come surrendered in spirit and open ourselves up to the love of God in this moment, right now, today. You see, God's love, the mercy of the divine, is just a breath away for each one of us today. Let us pray. Lord, like our psalmist cries out, help us lift our eyes to the hills where we might find you. Help us to trust in your grace that despite our circumstances or the outcome, you can fill us with your love. Forgive us when we fail to miss you in our presence. Forgive us for all the ways we separate ourselves from your love or being your love to others. Remind us daily that your mercy is but a breath of way and bring us the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to face the unknowns and guide us to your truth so that our spirits can be lifted to the heavens where we can always find you. As it says in the Psalms, I place myself in your care, and you will save us, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Amen. I now invite the ushers to come forward as we share together in our tithes and offerings this morning. <laughs>